So there are a lot of things that people think are Christian or a part of Christianity that may not be really a part of Christianity yeah. from the Bible's perspective. Right. So when we deconstruct maybe the Christianity around us, what we're really saying is, what are some of the things that we think are probably a part of what we do here in America, but they're not necessarily biblical? And so yeah. we have to ask questions, so what is biblical Christianity? Welcome to Stories I Didn't Tell Last Sunday. I'm Doug McAllister for Journey Fellowship Church, joined today by Al Charche and Ken Mott. And today we're talking about a very deep subject, but we're going to try and keep it fun and informative so that, you know, we can kind of get real without getting too deep in the in the weeds. But our topic today is deconstructionism. Maybe we'll look it up. It's a really big word. And I don't really like big words a whole lot because... If you could say it in a smaller word, I wish you'd use a smaller word, but there may be no other smaller word to use because this topic covers such a vast amount of information. In fact, I'm not sure if we can cover it all in one podcast. We may do a part two to this one. But uh, in modern terms, what we're struggling with in America is probably born out of the deconstructionism movement, and that is our struggle with absolute truth. Now, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is our source of truth. Unbelievers don't hold that opinion. So we see in our culture, as it drifts further and further away from God, it loses its connection to truth. And I think it's playing out right in front of us in politics, in education, uh, in business, and, uh, you know, in all the different entertainment and sports fields. We see this, it's, it's kind of crumbling right in front of our eyes as people lose their grip on absolute truth. So let me tell this story before we kick it off, and y'all can jump in whenever you want to. Um, I was looking up the other day some definitions of words that people were talking about on uh, online, and I noticed that some of them are some of the words are being redefined in real time on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. They're changing words like literally. You can see from one day to the next the definitions of words being changed, like the word recession has been redefined to fit a political narrative, which I find that's interesting that uh, we redefine words to fit somebody else's political agenda. So then I thought, you know what? I'm going to look up the word definition to see if definition has been changed. Wikipedia and some other uh, online dictionaries have redefined the word definition. Nice. Now they're changing words. Now we're changing with the word definition. So here's the new Definition of definition. A definition, this is brand new, a fluid statement of meaning of a term or a word or a phrase. A fluid statement of meaning. Here's the second. Definitions cannot be easily set into categories because meanings evolve to meet the needs of societal change. And the last one. A term definition may have many different senses and multiple meanings and thus requires multiple definitions. All of that sounds like (laughs) true other than when you read behind the lines. Yeah, we're defining everything to fit somebody else's political agenda. There was a time when words meant what they meant. Right. Not Can true we look anymore. Up what does confused mean? <laughs> because I think I I feel confused, at least according to the prior definition I, of the word confused. Right. But confused. I want to make sure that I still feel what the new definition of confused. I think confused is. means you have a logical sense of being. 
Oh, that's different than the way I feel. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, no, you're right. It's very confusing, you know, and I think that's part of the unraveling of culture is we see that words are being changed, meanings are being changed, history is being changed, you know, things are being uh, canceled and uh, moments in history have been uh, unwritten and statues have been torn down and names have been realigned, all to fit people's, you know, feelings and political agenda. I get it, but the truth is, truth is truth. And once you abandon truth, then everything becomes subjective. So... Anyway, what do you think well, about that? No, I, yeah, I think language, but I, I do think language evolves a little bit. It, you know, we, absolutely. Especially when you think of, um, uh, you know, language among young people. When we were kids, we used the word "cool" for something that we liked that we yeah. thought was, you know, pretty impressive or whatever. And then uh, all of a sudden, we used the word for we said it was bad when yeah. we really meant it was really good. Right. Uh, you know, and so each generation takes certain words and they kind of. They use them for their own liking, for their own way. And I think at one level, that may be very innocent. Yeah. But when you have an agenda behind something, yeah. and, you know, obviously one of the big words over the last decade or two has been the understanding of what is marriage, you right. know, for the historical meaning that we took from the scriptures when Jesus thought, or when God designed a man and a woman and put them together, that became what we knew as a marriage. Right. But then over the, like I said, the last 20, 30 years, that idea has been blown open to include all different types of, yeah. um, you know, unions right. with different, not only, different people. Not only men and women can get married, uh, then people of the same sex can get married. And now they're proposing polyamorous marriages. So right. you have multiple people married, each, like four or five people living uh, in a, as a married family. You know, right. so you're right. So these, these things begin to just unravel. How far do you take that? Right. Can, can you marry your horse? You know, can can you marry your, your cousin and your sister? I think I if mean, the horse can say I do, <laughs> then I'm going to allow yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We're confusing. Yeah. 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 So, but, so I think that's what language does. So, so, I, so I do think a language evolves. The question is, what is the purpose for some language evolving? Yeah. And what is, you know, so, so to say that a definition of word, which is supposed to have given it its meaning, to yeah. say it's fluid, and that the definition no longer gives its meaning is almost counterproductive. So yeah. then how do you know what the meaning right. of a word is? There is, is? no meaning. Of right, exactly. Words. So it just, and again, you're right. it is confusing. It is innocent at times. And I've, I, we've all seen it happen in our, our life. You know, for about a year, we used the word sick all the time. Well, that's sick, which means it was really great. Right. But that's not what sick means. And we all knew it, it wasn't sick. Right. But it was just our, you know, use of a term to be opposite of what it really meant. But we by no means want to, wanted to redefine the word sick. Right. You know, it's, right. it still means you're not well, you're ill, but at that, that phase, you know, sick well, was depending a, upon the context that it's used in the word. Yeah. Could, and we have a lot of words that could mean one thing in True. one setting and a different thing in another setting. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's how we lose the grip because people accept that words evolve, but when people who have ulterior motives use that opportunity, they can totally rewrite a language, right? Like the word recession for Ever, it's been two consecutive quarters of, uh, which is a dumb way to say it, but of negative growth, which I think is not even growth at all, but that's a government phrase. Two consecutive quarters of negative growth is a recession. If you go look it up now, that's not what it means anymore. No, it's Because it's not convenient to the Biden administration, so uh, the, the dictionary and Wikipedia all rewrote it. To me, that is a, a misuse of redefining words because it follows someone's political agenda, not a cultural accept that change. You know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. 
right? Yeah. yeah. And I think when we get to that language, and language in particular, I think that's where the problem with deconstruction, or not the problem, what the issue with deconstructionism and the guy that came up with the term back in the 60s, um, Jacques Derrida, his issue was that language was a poor medium to explain or to give truth. Yeah. That language breaks down, and uh, that that the language that we used in one moment in time may be completely different than what it's being used like now. Yeah. So that's where deconstruction came from. Deconstructionism came from. It was to that it was his idea that language was just a poor communicator of meaning, and then he came up with all these critical ideas of how to uh, interpret what somebody said, depending on when they said it, how long ago they said it, and how language has changed up to this point in time. And what they may have meant in the moment. Right. Right. They meant in the moment based Which, upon. All the different, different things around them. Yeah. So let's introduce the character and let's, let's, let's define the word, which is you know opposite of postmodernism. But let's let's introduce the character Jacques Derrida. Derrida. Yeah. Jacques was a a French philosopher who lived in the 20th century, who wrote the textbook on deconstructionism. So if you're going to do some research on your own, look up Jacques Derrida. It looks like Derrida, but Derrida, who was a French philosopher uh, who became an international celebrity in the postmodern movement. He lectured at universities all over the world. He wasn't universally accepted, uh, but he was by the global elites. They used him as an apostle right. to kind of take a hold of language. And of course, he wrote five books and was a you know a very well respected philosopher in, in that circle. So Jacques Derrida came up with the term deconstruction to define, in his terms, his lifetime of work. He even said in his own uh, speeches that there was no single definition of deconstructionism. Man, which is almost under uh, undermining his own work, you know. He said, "Look over my lifetime of work. That's deconstructionism, you know." So, uh, but deconstructionism. Here's the here's the short definition. Uh, and there's again, uh, you know, a hundred years of work that we can look at. But let me give you the short definition. Deconstructionism, in layman's terms, is a critical dismantling of tradition or traditional modes of thought. So in other words, how does, it, how does it apply to Christianity? It's taking the Bible and deconstructing that traditional mode of lifestyle, saying, well, we, we don't know what it means. Or if you're, uh, if you're a philosopher and you take the works of Plato and you deconstruct his works, or whatever discipline you use it in, you can deconstruct anything. Or even if you're a movie fan, you can deconstruct a movie, which is a harmless form. If you're, if you're watching uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movies, and he's made some really good ones and some not so good ones, but you can deconstruct the movies and how they all tie together and what is common thing. That's kind of a fun way to use deconstruction. You know, I didn't know that uh, uh, that the guy was dead the whole time in the movie of Sixth Sense. What, what's the actor's name that was in Sixth Sense? Oh, uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis. And, sorry, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the movie Sixth Sense, it is 25 <laughs> years old, so that's on you. Uh, but uh, he was dead the whole movie, which is, you know, you can deconstruct the whole. And I did that. I watched the whole movie. When I had the revelation that he was dead, I went back and I watched the whole movie again. Just to see if it was if it was true to that whole and man every turn where you thought that he was alive oh no obviously he's not alive there either so that's a that's a you know a harmless way to deconstruct but I think what's not harmless is taking the authority of your life you know the Bible or the law or you know philosophy spiritual philosophy things that you build truth from and deconstructing that then you get into danger yeah. 
Yeah, and it has, you know, that's kind of where his postmodern, so the postmodern idea is it's a reaction against modernism and the idea that science kind of rules everything, science sets up um, how we view the world, the scientific method, we, we look at it, we observe it, we experiment with it, we test it, all those type of things, and truth is basically science. That's yeah. kind of where we're at for most people, even today, we're still at... But then postmodern, uh, that's a rejection because sometimes uh, science doesn't do a good job in answering a lot of questions about life. So how does science help us with uh, love or hope or you know uh, meaning and, and, and de- uh, desire and purpose and all? It, it doesn't answer those questions very well. There's no way to test, yeah. in, in, a, in a sense, what kind of love you have or what kind of hope that you have, what kind of faith you have. Yeah. Uh, so the so the whole. Postmodern movement was a rejection of uh, a lot of the different um, types, a lot of different uh, hierarchies, the uh, you know the authorities and all the political systems and all that, and just saying, you know what, let's just trash all of them, and let's just figure out what we can each individual thinks about it. And so, where where uh, the guy kind of goes off um, is that he wants to just break it all down and then look for meaning a different way, and then ultimately. He breaks it down that nobody can know what truth is, and again, yeah. that's what that's what becomes I say scary. That's what becomes threatening to us as followers of Christ because we believe that there is a truth. Yeah, there is truth, real right. truth. It's valid. It's it's ultimate truth. Yeah, um, where folks like these say, no, you can never know what the truth is. And yeah, and I think probably that is what is the dismantling of our culture. Not only are we deconstructing language, we're deconstruction deconstructing culture right. we're literally tearing the building blocks of the family you know of of the rule of law of right. you know societal order all these things are starting to collapse and it's not by accident this is by design now um, you went through some of the last 200 years of history in about two minutes which is a really good definition you know we saw uh, the Reformation with Martin Luther in the 1500s followed by the Enlightenment uh, with all of the scientific breakthroughs in the 17th and 18th century followed by uh, uh, you know the Industrial Revolution that modernized the world which led to a whole different lifestyle and then the scientific awakening where people were turning to science you know the, the famous scopes monkey trial in the 1920s uh, where uh, for the first time evolution beat you know the biblical interpretation for right. for life so we've seen over 400 years this slowly crumbling of truth you know, the church still remains, and the Word of God still the Word of God, but we're seeing Western civilization literally crumble right in front of our eyes. You know, and I think that probably that is, uh, that's what frightens me more than anything, is because I have kids and grandkids that, that's going to grow up in this culture, but I know that, you know, that God looks over the long arc of history, not in the single moment we're in today. You know, God's moving his hands through the ages, you know. And uh, in my, my opinion, it's setting the world up for the, for the end times, for the apocalypse, for the one world government. You know, as people lose hold on truth, you know, they're going to turn to people that hold power, right. which will be, you know, mostly the government, you know. And uh, I think uh, they're trying to take they being the powers of darkness, take the authority of God's word away from the Bible and from the church. You know, if, if they can undermine your credibility as a pastor, I mean, pastors speak for God. I mean, that's your role. You preach the Bible, so you're speaking for God. And Doretta said in his writing, do not trust priests or scientists, right. for they have an agenda. 
find your own truth. So and it, it was literally one of their, you know, one of his core values. Do not trust pastors. Do not trust scientists. Right. All yeah. authority is to be questioned. Right. All know, it's that it. kind of the 60s right. movement again. Right. Rehashed. And, and it sounds fun, especially when you're, when you're 16. Right. You know, I'll do what I want to do. Right. Until you find yourself homeless under a bridge. And you realize, well, maybe mom was right. Yeah. You know, that's where our culture is, you know. We said, I'm going to do what I want to do, and now our culture is living under a bridge. Have you seen L.A. lately? I mean, there's more people living on the streets than living in houses. You know, literally our, our culture is crumbling, you know. Uh, disease and uh, crime, you know. We, we, we no longer prosecute criminals. You know, you can literally be arrested for uh, breaking and entering or shoplifting and be arrested and be out on the street five minutes later. Because we, we don't prosecute criminals in big cities anymore. Why? Because every person, you know, is entitled to their own truth. And in their life experience, they deserve that Rolex. You know, and it, it affects everything around us. You know, so now we've got pockets forming in America, you know, where people are trying to build safe neighborhoods, you know, and uh, people are buying weapons and people are building fences. And, you know, it's, we, we see the anarchy that's happening all around us, you know. Yeah, and so. I think that's kind of the, one of the keys. Is it is it's descending into anarchy, and what and what do we mean by anarchy? That there's no order. That there is nothing that's to be ordered. There's yeah. no one way that is necessarily the right way, or even a better way, right? And yeah. so when we get to, uh, you know, the, to the extremes, and you know, you know, everything we we look at today and said, oh, that'll never happen. But literally thirty years ago, we would have never thought there were never. 50, 60, 70 different genders. Right. We would have never, that would have never been even on the horizon of, nope. okay, that's just, that's ridiculous. Everybody knows. Not only that, it's yeah. been promoted by our government. Right. And so now we've got to those extremes and we think, well, how bad, how much, how, how crazy can it get? But every level with this kind of an idea as being an underlined or underlying um, uh, philosophy for a nation that every individual gets to find their own truth and discover their own truth or make their own meaning. Right. Who's to say that the criminal is not just now living his own meaning in life? Right. The, the pedophile is not living their own meaning in life. Yeah. The, you know, who, whatever we want to say, right. they just are living their own meaning. And who, if, if there is no accepted order, then who's to tell anybody what they're doing is right or wrong? And yeah. how can you, again, how do you run a society that way? And yeah. you just, it's, it's, it's just really hard. And it's going to be a really big thing for our, our children to face in the next So here's the big years. picture. The big picture of society is crumbling. But it's also affecting us on a micro level, too. Us as a church and our children and grandchildren. You know, their subject is, you know, our kids are going to public schools. You know, they're, they're watching uh, TikTok videos and uh, they're on social media and they're, you know, they're being influenced by pop culture and music. All these things are, you know, all these things are influencing us. So not only is it affecting us, you know, and affecting our primary livelihoods as pastors, but more importantly, it's affecting people's especially in this generation's ability to have strong faith. Right. You know, it's attacking the core of their being and that is their their relationship with their creator. So I pulled up this story a while ago. This is a this is right off the front page of MSNBC. I don't read MSNBC. Uh, I don't trust them. Uh, but Tommy Barnett once said he reads the Bible to get God's perspective, and then he watches the news to get the devil's, okay. <laughs> which is a really good take. So I, I pulled up the devil's perspective a while ago. MS, MSNBC has a headline, and it may be gone now, but this was up there just a little while ago. Uh, MSNBC, here's how atheists can help fight Christian nationalists who have America under siege. 
That's an actual story by a mainstream media conglomerate. They're telling, they're telling their viewers and their, their readers, we have to fight Christianity, and we do that by building strong atheist movements across our country because America is under siege. And then there's a long article, you know, and basically they're complaining about Christians having influence over culture and how five of the nine justices on the Supreme Court claim to be saved, to, to have evangelical or uh, you know, a, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And he said that is the danger in our country is allowing these, you know, extremists influence, you know, which kind of undermines the First Amendment that, you know, we have the right to worship, you know, to, to assemble and to say what we think. Mm -hmm. But that's a, that's a story right now, you know, that we have to, we have to take Christianity's uh, influence away. And this guy coined a new term. He said we should call it um, communitarian atheism and gather like churches every weekend and start electing people that believe like us. It's like, man, I think missing out of a church of atheism is faith. Yeah. <laughs> How do you build a church around what I don't believe? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's happening right among us. So let's ask a couple of questions, things that I think that are important as, as pastors. Okay, we define what it is. You know, and deconstructionism uh, fails outright because deconstructionism says there is no absolute truth, but making that statement is an absolute statement. So it undermines its own definition. If there's no absolute truth, then you can't say there's no absolute truth because that is an absolute. So as we define it, let's ask a couple of big questions. Uh, not only what is it, but are there any benefits to deconstructionism? in the church? I think the quick answer is yes, like we said earlier. Then, did Jesus use deconstructionism in his ministry? And probably so. Another question, we'll go over these slowly in the next few minutes. How should I, as a follower of Jesus, respond in my own walk with Jesus? And then finally, how can I help other people who are caught up in deconstruction? I have a really good friend of mine whose son is deeply embedded in deconstructionism uh, who's decided that he's, you know, not happy with his faith and he's walked away from Christ. And that story has been told many times. In fact, I have several friends who told me the story about their own sons and daughters who've decided that they were leaving, leaving the faith. So let's go over these one at a time. Yeah, I, I think you need to back up just for a moment because you, you, we transitioned from saying deconstructionism is bad because it's a movement away from absolute truth but then a minute or two later, we said, well, is deconstruction, can deconstructionism be a good thing in the church? And you said the answer is yes. Yeah. And then we moved on to a di different question. And I could just see someone sitting at home right now saying, wait, hold yeah. on a minute. If deconstructionism is a movement away from absolute truth, how can it be a good thing within the confines of the church? And that's a really good question. And I think the answer is very simple. When I was a young believer, we, would call, we didn't use the word deconstructionism. We used the word crisis of faith. We all go through crises of our faith. You know, it's just part of your maturing process as a, as a believer. Uh, the term now is deconstructionism. How can it be beneficial? Can it? Yeah. So, yeah. So like Pastor Al was saying, uh, the, the pro it, it, so deconstruction is a process. It's a process of pulling away those things that, um, that may be hindering us from getting to meaning or yeah. to truth. Um, and so sometimes when we bring it down to the faith level, to our, you know, to the theological level, um, we look at 
Christianity and what Christianity looks like in America, which is probably different than it looks like in Africa or some of the other uh, different nations of the world. And we have to ask ourselves, so is it really Christian to, A, love your country so much or to want this right or that right or whatever? Is that really part of Christianity, or is that something that's added on to Christianity, but the core message of Christianity is somehow being uh, covered or uh, over, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just Lost? Yeah, kind of lost in all yeah. the different things that are going on in the cultural Christian community yeah. in, in America. And, and, and I would say, yeah, so there are a lot of things that people think are Christian or a part of Christianity that may not be really a part of Christianity yeah. from the Bible's perspective. Right. So when we deconstruct maybe the Christianity around us, what we're really saying is, what are some of the things that we think are probably a part of what we do here in America, but they're not necessarily biblical? And so yeah. we have to ask the question, so what is biblical Christianity? So you tear down the things. So is it is it Christian uh, or is it, you know, do, is it required to be a Christian that you go to church every Sunday? Is it required that to go to be a Christian that you're either or, yeah, you're either Democrat or Republican? Is it required to be a Christian? And, and, and so you look at it and you think, I, I, I don't know, what is Christianity? And so mm-hmm. you deconstruct, you start to tear away the things that are peripheral to get down to what the truth is. And the Bible yeah. tells us the truth about a Christian is one who's come to faith in Christ yeah. is, has had that conversion experience who they are now in a relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. That's the core message of Christianity. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, we mentioned him earlier, uh, he deconstructed. He saw all the things in the Catholic Church that he thought were extra biblical, and he thought, we, we got to get back to what the Bible says, faith yeah. alone, right? Solo Just fida. Chill by yeah. faith. And, and, he, and so he took his 98 Theses and he nails them to the Wittenberg door uh, and, and he said, these things just don't seem to be aligned with with God's ways and God's purpose and God's yeah. word. And so he was deconstructing. He was and saying, boy, that's a really good case to, in point. Yeah. And so, so, so I think a lot of kids today in church, they're looking at the way we do things, how we do things, the things right. that we support as Christianity in America. And they're thinking, I don't. I don't necessarily want all that. Yeah. But I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. So, so what is yeah. Christianity? So to answer Al's question, I think you answered Al's question very well. Deconstructionism itself may have an ulterior motive, but there is some beneficial uses of it if it helps you to uncover truth, right? Not get rid of right truth. And I think that's where we are. Is how can we, as a as a movement, as as a church help people to deconstruct their faith in a healthy way. Because look, I was part of the church planning movement in the 1980s. You know, I went to Bible college, I joined the church planning movement right out of right out of school, and the first thing I learned was the way we were planning churches doesn't work. That's the first thing I learned. After going all those years of preparation, I spent 12 years getting ready to plant churches, and when I was about ready to launch out, I thought none of this is going to work anymore because the the culture has moved past us, you know, we're irrelevant. So, we had to deconstruct church planning. You know, which caused a lot of animosity among, you know, uh, people in authority over us. Like, you guys are doing it wrong. That's not how you do it. And I get it, you know, but having the perspective of a church planner with a model that didn't work anymore, being forced to use a model that I knew was going to fail, and then standing and saying, I don't want to do it like this. I want to do it like this. You know, things like rewriting our Constitution, uh, location, uh, style of music, you know, style of dress, all those things were, you know, were set in stone from the, you know, from 100 years ago. And now here we are in the mid-20th century, or late 20th century, trying to start a new church planning movement. And then, you know, we had to, you know, find grace to reconstruct 
that whole movement. So, so I get, and it became healthy. And now we've seen, you know, tens of thousands of churches planted across America in the last 25 years, mainly because a young, uh, a young generation rose up and deconstructed it. But they didn't throw away the church. They just got rid of the things that were extra, extra biblical, that were cultural hang-ons, you know, and, and moved on, you know. And I think that was healthy for us, you know. But I also think that deconstructing your faith, you know. I had a crisis of my faith when I was a young believer, you know. Uh, it shook me to the core. It's, you know, it's, uh, somebody called it the dark night of the soul. Remember that book, mm-hmm. you know, where you just wrestle with, okay, who is God and why am I here and what am, I, am I doing what? I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, it, it, it's more of a personal deconstruction, not to get rid of God, but to find out what God is saying and how it applies to me. Right. Well, yeah. It, I got two things I, I'd, I'd like to add to that. One, I, I think of the simple gospel as being the core, and this is what we've all said, but I'm just thinking, of, like, I think a little bit different. I think of pictures and images as you guys speak. And one of the articles we read gave a really good picture, and that was that of a house. Right, so we imagine the simple gospel being the core and those foundational aspects, the important parts of a house. But over time, over years and centuries and traditions and so many different things get added on to that that house and eventually a generation gets to a, a place or a point where they want to deconstruct and, and take off those things that are not necessary and really let's get to the core yeah. of where we're at and what's going on. So to me that was a very... Um, a very helpful way just to think about the phrase um, deconstructing our faith. Okay, what are the things that don't matter in this house? And what are the things that, that actually do matter in this house? And how do we get rid of the things that don't matter without, you know, how do we, how do we rebuild the house um, as opposed to destroying the whole thing with a bulldozer, yeah. right? How do we selectively remove that which isn't needed but keep the core structure still? The other thing that, that comes to mind is, um, you know, this idea of going through a, a dark night of the soul is 100% biblical, and it's used by God all throughout the scriptures. All the way. So you read through the the Psalms, for example, and you'll see... Um, you know, instance after instance of there are basically three main categories to the Psalms. One of these are Psalms that kind of focus on creation, mm-hmm. Psalms that focus on newness of life, Psalms that focus on things growing and developing. Everything is amazing. It's, it's happening. It's awesome. It's beautiful. We love it. Um, there's a whole category of Psalms that kind of fit that narrative. Mm-hmm. But then you have another category of Psalms where, oh God, where are you? Yeah. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why have you me. forsaken me? I'm, I'm way down in the bottom of this pit. You can't even hear my prayers anymore. And, and some would call that this season of disorientation, yeah. a dark night of the soul, if you will. And then you have another category of Psalms, really, that, that, that's kind of that reorientation, that now you're not, it's not at the beginning again, you're in some place completely new, some place that, that just is absolutely amazing. And the only way that you can get there is by going through a season of disorientation. Yeah. And so that's completely biblical. And, and I think that, you know, we use this term, or it's popular in culture now to use this term of, of deconstruction, but it, the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. So there may be a new term that's used, but this is, for faithful Christians, this is a, a, an experience that God uses to refine us. Mm-hmm. It's an experience that God uses to, to get rid of the things within us yeah. that are, are no longer necessary or were never necessary to begin with. 
you know, and yeah. in order to, to refine us and to bring that forth that which is valuable to him. What was the third part of the psalm? So there was three different topics. Reorientation. Oh, reorientation. And it, I, I think that's probably true in all of our lives. Or new orientation. Yeah. is like We all go through this metamorphosis, and that's the whole point of being saved. You're being born again. Right. And we can't discount the part of God putting us in a, a, a dark, quiet place for a season for us to develop and grow and change, you know, so that we can come out new and fresh. And I think it's part of us. So it seems that the... The powers of this world have taken that one element of, of faith and turned it into a brand new movement of doubt. You know, it's like, oh, you have a dark night of your soul? Then you need to, you need to uh, question everything you've ever believed. And I think that's where yeah. it, it goes off the, so, the rail. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I think for some people, you know, there is this very real rejection of what they were presented with. So out of all the evangelism I've done over the years, and I've done a fair amount, um, you know, there are a lot of people who have who I've spoken to who rejected um, the presentation of the gospel that they were given. They yeah. rejected Christianity the way in which it was presented to them. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that I have it all together, but I am yeah. saying that there's a when people look to what's on TV and they hear to what's being present, they hear what's being presented on the radio. They hear a yeah. certain presentation of of the gospel that yeah. they see their grandmother who was raised in um, in the middle of the city in New Orleans and they live in a shotgun house and they don't have any money and they give this preacher you know the last dollar that they have and the preacher's driving down the street in a big Lincoln yeah. and that kid sees that image right. that portrayal of Christianity and that's what the kid rejects right. and when I'm doing this evangelism and I'll have these types of conversations, what I recognize is, hey, you're not rejecting Jesus. You just rejected the portrayal of Jesus yeah. that you saw. You rejected yeah. the presentation that, that you interpreted, the right. way that you saw Christianity. But you right. haven't been presented with yeah. the simple gospel yet. And I think it's important that as pastors, all of us are you know, past our midpoint, we allow another generation to look at the institution and point out their 95 thesis. Like, hey, these are things I think that are not biblical and not be threatened by it. Mm -hmm. and, th and that's difficult for us because, hey, we spent our life building this and to have a 25-year-old tell us that we're doing it wrong, you know, it takes a lot of humility to say, hey, maybe you're right. Jesus and the Bible are true, but maybe some of our uh, cultural trappings are what is turning people off to the gospel. You, yeah, yeah, I... I, yeah, I yeah, I agree completely, and I think a lot of times what we're going to face, what this generation of young people face, is kind of like Pastor Al said that they just don't like any of any of the way it, just, it doesn't speak their language. It doesn't speak yeah. to them to where they are, where their interests. Yeah. And there's so many feelings attached, uh, so so many experiences attached that a lot of them are just saying, I, I don't I don't like the way it even looks, and so I completely reject it. Yeah. Um, and so they so they deconstruct to the point where. Um, I don't know if they ever were followers, but you know, then they deconvert. Yeah. Uh, that's the big thing. You know, deconstruction is a process. Deconverting is the result of yeah. you know the reconstruction, uh, the deconstruction. Right. But I think a lot. I would encourage a lot of young young people if you're having that crisis of faith. So what what do you do? Hmm. So so go to the source. Go to the Bible. Now yeah. some will say, well, I got to deconstruct that too. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the, again, how far are we going to go? To, and we could have a whole. This yeah. uh, conversation on what truth is and how truth is revealed, all right. those different things. Um, 
But I would say go go directly to the scriptures. Go to yeah. the Bible. Go to it. Find, read the scriptures for yourself. Right. I think most people they want to reject it, and so many people do reject Christianity, and they've yeah. never read mm-hmm. hardly a word of it. They've yeah. never gone through the Book of John ever. It's just twenty two chapters. You could read it one chapter a day. You'd be done with it in less than a month. Just read it and let the words you know of Jesus yeah. Christ just speak to you, and they yeah. would they would be able to instantly tell. Yeah. Okay, so this is what the man was saying. Yeah. Do I have a problem with what, what he said? Right. Do I have a problem with what he says right. specifically? What did Jesus um, say? Right. Read what he yeah. said and see if it's right. Is yeah. it real? And I think that's probably true is because of the cultural pressure, people just reject Christianity outright without ever examining it. Yeah. And I think that is the danger of deconstructionism is that people just buy into the result of somebody else's deconversion and never look at it for themselves. And so I would encourage, like you said, read the Bible, read it from cover to cover. You can read the whole Bible in about two weeks. You can read the book of John in, a, in, a, in an hour if you sat through and read the whole thing. You, you read what the, what the Bible says. Check the sources and see if that if it applies to life. I mean, I mean, the Bible tells a story from the from the creation of man to the resolution of the earth and the end days. I mean, the Bible is a whole source of information about human history and his involvement with the creator. You know, so if you're going to deconstruct, really deconstruct, read every book, run every source. Is it historically correct? Is it, is it, are the artifacts there to back it up? Is the, is the, is the geology there? Is the, you know, are are the people real? Uh, All these things are come about in understanding the Bible. In fact, there's a whole field of Bible interpretation called hermeneutics, you know, that you can actually go through the whole Bible and figure out for yourself if, if it's true or not, instead of just rejecting it outright, do the work of deconstruction and see if what God's word says is true yeah, definitely. or not, you know, so. So anyway, so a lot of a lot of personal benefits. So we're talking about the, the benefits of deconstruction movement in the church and that we as pastors have to allow for some room. You know, I always get uh, comments after I preach on Sunday. It never fails. I'll get a, a, a face-to-face comment, or I'll get a text message, or an email. Sometimes I'll get multiple-page emails in response to my sermon. You know, and they always kind of hit me wrong because I've, my ego gets in the way. You know, because what I just I spent you know uh, a long time developing that sermon. You know, I, I spent about twenty hours to prepare a sermon. So when someone deconstructs it for me, it's almost a little offensive. But then have to take into account that maybe God's dealing with them about something that I missed or something that I said wrong, you know, and I think that's probably where we are as a church. We tend to get defensive when we really don't have to be personally offended or defensive of it. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Allow people the opportunity to give us some, uh, some pushback. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, and one of the, the, principles of deconstruction is to immediately um, reject all authority. Yeah. And so because of that and because, you know, we were, you know, as we were brought up, it was, you know, that whole movement of the 60s, question authority, question authority yeah, constantly. Yeah. 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 And and it's still today, that's what the, our young people are hearing, question authority, question the, yeah. you know, uh, the hierarchy and all those different things and kind of reject it outright. Um, yeah. And, and, and you do take it personal at, at, yeah. at certain levels because we've had our own experience. So we've right. come through our own lives. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. My little girl, Jinx, said the other day, she said, but mom and dad, you were never young. And it's like, 
<laughs> oh, okay. You know, has, okay. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And it has been a long time. But but from their pers- from that perspective, we we have gone through a lot of things. We've seen a lot of different things, and so we do have some inf- or some wisdom along with the years that we've lived. Um, and so it's hard not to be offended a little bit. But at another level, you have to. We look at these young people, and we and our hearts go out to them. You yeah. know, we, of course, we don't want to dictate to them. Right. No, we didn't like to be dictated to. Nobody right. wants to dictate anything to anybody. Right. We do want to help reveal to you truth, show yeah. you a way that is better than probably some of the other ways. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's we have ministries in our church that because of so many people took so many different paths and they've come back yeah. hurt and rejected and addicted and you know yeah. all these different you know hurts, habits, hangups that we have. Yeah. And we're trying to spare people from a yeah. lot of the errors that they could go to. Right. Um, and so. The idea that you just automatically reject authority for any of us that are our leaders is kind of, you know, on a personal level, it hurts a little bit. Uh, but again, uh, I think we've been in this long enough where we know that people struggle because yeah. we struggled. Yeah. And, and we don't want to dictate. We don't want to ever come across like you need to do this. You should, you know. Uh, but if we do say some of those words, it's because we're coming from a place of because we've been there. We've done that. We know the truth uh, in a little bit different context. Yeah. And that truth really can spare you from so many different. Right. And, so, and, so and truth is, by definition, absolute. Because if it's not truth, then it is opinion or it's even a lie. I notice while I'm preaching, if, if I quote a fact or a statistic or uh, some other form of information, uh, half the audience picks up their phone to fact check me on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to be really on top of your research. You know, 40 years ago when I was sitting in church listening to the preacher preach, whatever he said, well, that's the gospel. I, I, I can run home and get my encyclopedia and look it up, you know. But today, you can check it in real time. You can just pull up DuckDuckGo and type in that quote and say, oh, that's true. I just threw a quote in for DuckDuckGo. A little, little plug for you, DuckDuck. Uh, but uh, you can pull it right then and look at it and see if what he said is true. And I, I get that a lot. Hey, hey, you know, you misquoted that guy. That's not what he said. Or, hey, you know, that's not the right statistic. So it makes me very meticulous on research to make sure that I am, you know, quoting truth uh if not people you know lose you know credibility you lose credibility in people's eyes because you you were not right but i think what we can't ever forget is the equation is going to always hold uh part of the equation is going to always hold free will yeah every person has a free will you have one and you have one and i have one and all the people that we minister to have a free and when you're preaching you know you have hundreds of people listening at one time and each of them have a free will, and they get to decide how to respond to that truth or not to respond to that truth. And I think that's always, you know, part of the equation. And God is working on an individual level. You yeah. know, I, I, when you when you mentioned the, you know, how deconstruction can be um, a benefit, Jesus deconstructed. Uh, the religion of his day. He did. Uh, he came, you know, a, a, as God to earth. And so he knew truth. He was truth. Um, and yet he questioned the authority of, yeah. of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, yeah. you know, all the, 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 the Sanhedrin, the, the, the leaders of his day. And he would deconstruct some of the things, yeah. tear down some of the house. Sermon that on was the Mount. Built. Yeah. It was almost a deconstruction sermon. You right. know, you've heard that it's been said. But I tell you, right. that's a deconstruction sentence if there ever was one. Right. You know, you've heard that you shall not, uh, you, you shall write a divorce decree. But I tell you that you should not get divorced. Right. You know, which was a pretty radical deconstruction. He said Moses did that because of the hardness of their heart. But that was never God's plan. Right. That's a deconstruction, you know. But he was looking 
to help people get to truth, not escape from. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, he hit the Pharisees at every level when they were when their traditions would override the scriptures. Yeah. And he would and he would call them on it. He would say, Hey, your your traditions say this, but God's word says yeah. this. Mm-hmm. And so he was constantly tearing down the peripheral, the things that didn't really matter, and bring it back to the one source that did matter. And the other thing about truth, uh, and again, this is this this is the, one of those philosophical arguments that. That, that people have been talking about for centuries or eons of thousands of years, you know, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus made the statement in John 14, 6. He said, I am the truth. <laughs> he became the personification of what we, that most people believe is an idea. Yeah. Um, we think there is truth. But since God is the ultimate, yeah. there is no truth above God. Yeah. So truth has to be a personification. And that's why when I talk to young people and you see that they're deconstructing, you see that they're questioning, you see that they're really struggling um, and, and they're trying to get away, throw throw Christianity, like I said, throw the baby out with the bathwater, you have to say, okay, so then where where's your truth going to be? Mm-hmm. And how is your truth? Well, science is going to be my truth. Yeah. But there's a difference between science and facts. Yeah. or I mean, I'm sorry, science and facts and truth. Yeah. So we would know that the, tr- the facts of the matter, the science of a matter, is that the density of a human body is a lot, uh, is, is at such an extent that if as soon as that person steps on water, they will sink. Yeah. That's scientifically proven. Any of us could go into any lake around here, and as soon as we step on that water, we are going to go through it and to the bottom. Yeah. Jesus walked on water. Right. So there's a difference between the facts and the science that yeah. so many of us are told is ultimate truth right. and this person named Jesus who can even be above and uh, and make the facts line up to what he wants to make make happen. And so right. so when you think about truth and Christianity and truth being a person, then it shows us that truth has to then be revealed. God reveals himself to us. And I think that's going to be where when people really struggle, okay, am I going to deconstruct my faith all the way till I, you know, deconvert and and I walk away and I become an evangelical and you know all these different terms that we're right. talking about, those type of things. Right. You you have to still ask yourself, so then what, you know, what is your truth going to be mm-hmm. or what is the truth? And I, 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 when I look at Christianity, and especially the folks that are at this crisis of their faith, that's why I want to get them back to the scriptures, because there they will in, in, encounter truth, yeah. and ultimately that truth will be the person yeah. of, of Jesus Christ. And that's, the, that's always the end of Christianity, is a person connecting to Jesus. And if you're a young person and you're going through a crisis of your faith, we want you to know you're probably doing the same thing that David did and that Paul did and that all of us at this table have done. We've all had crises of our faith. But don't let the enemy take you away from Jesus in your search for truth because he is the truth. I would encourage you to deconstruct Christianity. And look, there's a lot about Christianity, especially uh, evangelical American Christianity, that we probably have wrong. You know, uh, what's the church in America? Well, you got to own a campus, you got to have a big building, you got to have a bus ministry, you got to have a TV ministry, you got to, you got to, you got you to, there's so many things that we've attached to the definition that have nothing to do with the gospel, you know, and I think that's probably pure for us. And maybe that's what leads to the next move of God is that this generation in earnest looking for truth teaches us how to do it a new way. You know, if you know a little bit about the history of our movement, you know, the 
the revival that began in 1906 on the Street, you know, began in a rundown old clapboard store led by an uneducated preacher uh, leading a congregation of poor people, you know, birthed what we call the Azusa Street Revival that has now went on to influence about 500 million people around the world. But it started in a rundown storefront by a one-eyed, uneducated preacher leading poor people. He deconstructed what was, at that time, you know, modern Christianity and said, let's get back to the gospel, back to the power of the Holy Spirit, back to praying and believing for miracles. And what we've seen in a hundred years is that what he did was he deconstructed it all the way back to the point of what's the gospel. And maybe that's what God's doing again, maybe preparing us for another Azusa Street revival that one of our sons or one of their sons, you know, will help us usher in a new move move of God, you know, but be careful that you don't get caught into the lie of this world. Uh, this, this philosopher, Jacques, uh, what's his last name? Derrida. Derrida. I keep on, in Louisiana, we call it Derrida. There was a whole <laughs> parish named after him. It's called Derrida, but Derrida in French, uh, Jacques Derrida, uh, Derrida, um, you know, his, his movement was basically, he said, you can't know anything about everything. That was his life's work. Nothing means anything so let's just all die and disappear you know wow what a nihilistic approach on the world like why even try anymore you know no i believe that there is truth and there is light and there is justice and there is peace and there is faith all those things are uh you know lost in the world of uh deconstructionism you know because faith is very personal but it's celebrated very corporately, you know, and that's worth fighting for, you know. So if you're going through a dark night of the soul, know you're in good company, but look for truth, not for a way out. Definitely. Want to add something to that? No, I, I think you, you, you're right on, on point. I, I think it's good to, uh, I think it's good to critically interact with the scriptures, obviously. I also think it's good to critically look at the disciplines and devotions of our life and to see if they line up with scripture. So, you know, often we want to deconstruct the church yeah. faith from that perspective. But when I look to scripture, what I see are the disciples and others, when they encounter Christ, they deconstruct their life yeah. and they realign their life around him. Boy, that's, that's good preaching right there. So, you know, for, for me, that's what it boils down to is how do I look to the life of Christ? Jesus said that he came to bear witness to the truth in yeah. John 18 when he was being questioned by Pilate. Yeah. That, and that those who, are, who, those who are of the truth hear and listen to his voice. Yeah. So that Jesus being the chief cornerstone of all things, how do I look at the house that yeah. is my life and, you know, I forget what book. It was it was a Kyle Eidelman, Eidelman um, fan, or what was the name of his book? Yeah, Not a Fan or something. Not a Fan. Yeah. I think it was in his book I read, or maybe maybe I'm giving him the credit and it isn't him. I don't remember. But somebody was talking about how to figure out what is an idol in your life. And he painted the picture of imagining a living room. And in your living room, usually the main focal point of the living room is going to be either the fireplace or the TV or both. Mm -hmm. And then imagining that living in, in the it, as you're imagining that living room of your life in your mind, um, you know, every seat in the living room is facing that direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if I'm going to try and figure out what are the idols in my life, what are the 
what are the things, the major components of my life all focused towards? And yeah. if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, then I probably have an idol in my life that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I probably have some deconstructing, yeah. some rearranging of the furniture in my house yeah. that needs to happen. So again, for me, when I think of deconstructionism, I, I think it's a, we see it as a whole in the movement that people want to deconstruct the, the church and the way in which church is done and things of that nature. Yeah. But scripturally deconstruction should be that of your own life how do yeah. i deconstruct my life and get rid of all the things that are not built on the cornerstone of jesus christ and then allow him to put it back together again yeah. in a way that my devotional life and the disciplines yeah. of my life are all in agreement with that truth yeah i got a text the other day and a, a guy asked me what do you think the the first couple markers are of a person that's following jesus which is a really great question and so i thought about for a few minutes I said, well the first one he has a repentant heart uh second he's willing to embrace life change and i think that's probably the deconstruction movement that we all really need is not that we get things like we like it but that we line up our lives uh, to be more like like Jesus, so I think that may be the hard part of Christianity is take up your cross and follow me, right. you know. And you know, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting; it's been tried and found hard, <coughs> and then abandoned. Right. You know, if you do Christianity right, it's a bloody process. Right. I mean, it's di- dying to yourself, coming alive to Christ, and it's the ultimate deconstruction. How can I deconstruct my life and rebuild it? in uh, a fashion that honors God. And I think that's a, a, a very valid valid point. How much time do we have left, Cade? Ten minutes? We're going to start wrapping it up because we're going to carry it on part two. Next time I want us to talk a little bit about Francis Schaeffer. I didn't, I didn't get to it. Um, so we're going we're gonna to make that the subject of our next conversation. Francis Schaeffer may be a great case in point of deconstructionism because he was a 20th century believer who had a profound impact on culture, but he also had a dark night of the soul where he came to a realization. So we're going to, if you want to go ahead and read about Francis Schaeffer, we're going to talk a little bit more about him and about how it applies to our own life. But let me, let's wrap it up by, by talking about this. How can we help other people, particularly young people, who are caught up in deconstructionism and their faith is in danger? What do you think some practical ways that the church could answer their questions? Well, I think one of the first things that we do is we look to see what, as I mentioned a moment ago, what is the chief cornerstone of our faith? Um, Is our faith more in a man or a building or an institution than in the person of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Is, am I building my life on the truth of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Um, because oftentimes the things that people want to deconstruct, when we really look at um, people in the church who are going through, admittedly themselves, going through the process of deconstruction, yeah. what we find is just that. It's like they want to get rid of all the other things that they've picked up along their journey yeah. and find out what's at the core. So yeah. if we're talking about how to do it, one of the first things I think that needs to be done is, okay, can I make sure that my life is built on Jesus and that my life um, is not built on the tradition of man? My yeah. life is not built on... Um, whether this man makes it or if he fails. And if he fails, then my life fails too. Yeah. So is my life really built on on Christ? Right. Yeah, so we encourage every person, especially young people fighting this battle, to go back to the source. Go back to Jesus. Read what he said. 
look at his claims. You know, how does it personally apply to me? You know, and how does it change my life? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think so many of those, we call them disciplines. Uh, the church disciplines are so important uh, because part of this is, you know, because Christianity at, at the core is a relationship, giving, giving young people an opportunity to have that relationship. You know, when we say, you know, read the Bible, um, maybe we can help them through it. Maybe we can sit down with them. Hey, why don't we read this? Why don't I show you, you know, let me help you see this or, or this about what Jesus said about who he is. And then, and then, then prayer. Prayer is obviously another one of those things Huge where, part. Uh, again, you're, you're, it's an experience that you have with someone. So prayer is nothing more than talking with God. It's just like we're talking together. A prayer is talking to God specifically in a relationship. And I, and I think that becomes very experiential you know a lot of people have a problem with uh, their faith being experiential but I think they have it has to be it has to walk hand in hand yeah we are relational people how would God ever want us to have a relationship by faith or have have a uh, relationship with him by faith but that faith didn't involve our experiences yeah. it didn't involve you know the person that the people that we are um, you know we have experiences with our wives uh, we have experiences with our kids those are tangible uh, I, so I think setting up moments whether it's in a service or yeah. in a in a time together where you're praying with people helping helping young people that are really struggling hey when's the last time you heard from God when's the yeah. last time you prayed to God when's yeah. the last time you expected to hear from God yeah and so walking out some of those things because the Bible tells us the day in which you seek me with all your heart, the day you'll find right? me. I mean, yeah. you, you know, we didn't just, our, our, you, most of us, our spouse didn't fall into our lap. You know, yeah. we, we didn't, no, what did we do? We went looking for yeah. that yeah. spouse. We went looking for an experience to have to find that person that we want to spend our life with. Yeah. Um, I think part of it, the same is true with God. You have to look for him and yeah. to be available uh, to find a relationship with him. Right. And so I think I would make, try to help make it uh, experience. So when you come in here, it's not just I come in here and I listen to some songs that are sung, I listen to a message, and then I go home, and hopefully that helps me. No, you really have an interaction with the God of the universe. Yeah, and that is, I think that what Christianity is more than anything, it's an experience. It's a personal experience between you and the living God. And you know, some of the disciplines are not going to change. If you're looking for truth, his name is Jesus. And I would encourage you to keep looking, keep searching, even if you're in a dark night of your soul. You know, you're in good company, and we we welcome you, and we want you as part of the church. In fact, you know, David, as Al made a great point, David wrote a third of the Psalms about the dark night of his soul. You know, we're going to talk next time we're together about Francis Schaeffer and about our own, you know. You've had a dark night of your soul. I know you've had one, Ken. I've had... I've had one. We talk about our own experiences, how we walk through that. But we want to give you permission to de deconstruct your faith, but with the ultimate goal of making it stronger, of knowing Jesus better and finding the source of real truth. And we're never going to escape the basic disciplines. And once you're saved, the basic disciplines are prayer, studying the Bible, worship, fellowshipping with other believers, sharing your faith, and living out your real story, who you are in Jesus Christ. Those things never change. They're, they're universal, and they're, they're biblical, and they're, they're 21st century truths. Those are, are the basics. And everything else becomes a non-essential, you know, as you do what we know is the essentials of the, of the faith that is walking with Jesus, walking with each other, and knowing who you are in Christ, you know. So anyway, we're gonna wrap it up. You guys want to add a closing thought before we end today? No, I, I think that's right on the money. You know, we again the, the the final question was how do we do this, and if we were given some instructions to people on how to do this, we 
you know, we want to make sure that um, that our life is built on the cornerstone of, of Christ. And then we want to start to look to some of the daily disciplines that we participate in, like Pastor Ken said. You know, are we, do we have, have we had an experience, an actual experience with God? Have we learned to fine tune, like back in the day, the, the television set, you had to turn the dial, right? And sometimes you How old a, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was the remote control for my dad. I was You're the antenna mover? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, sometimes that, the TV screen would be all wavy and you turn the little knob yeah. a little bit. Remember the radio you could adjust to? Yeah. Those things, they're all digital now, but you got to just the exact right exactly. setting to, to get 101.5. But that's the image that I have yeah. when I think of, of fine-tuning my ability yeah. to hear from God. Right. You know, sometimes a, that it's a it's a discipline that yeah. that has to be practiced in yeah. order to, to, to fine-tune, in order to work out. Yeah. So I want to look at some of the characteristics of my life. I want to look at some of the characteristics of my faith. Is my faith, if I'm talking about how to do this, is my faith one that's characterized by uh, humility, of forgiveness, of servanthood, of placing the needs of others above that of myself? Or is my, if I look at the characteristics of my life, is it are the char- major characteristics revolve around bitterness and anger and resentment and hurt and things of that nature? Yeah. If I'm finding those things, if I'm spending daily time examining my life in light of the scriptures because it's one thing to examine my life alone in a room by myself it's another thing to examine my life in light of the scripture in light of god's word yeah if we're doing that then i think we're moving in the right direction Hmm. that's healthy that's christianity that's what that's what christians have done for thousands of years part of the struggle right is part of the experience right yeah you want to wrap it final thought but yeah, I, don't, I think we've kind of we're kind of beating into into the, in, in a drum now. But I, I, I think drum. that yeah, I, I think it's it, I think the the core for all of us is what is our, what what truth are we going to hold to our life and and everybody wants it. That's the credit incredible thing is there's something inside of us that wants to know what the truth is. Yeah. We just want it, and whether people have expressed it like some of these philosophers trying to find meaning, trying <laughs> saying they can never. Doesn't doesn't mean that they don't want it. Yeah. And they, we all want it. I think it's inextricably in all of us. And you know, we it's very clicheous that say there's a god sized hole in all of us. But at one level, it's it is true. There yeah. is something that reaches out that yeah. wants to know. There's right. something inside of the spirit, and that's what God has put into us yeah. that we would know. Uh, he's, the Bible says He's put eternity into our hearts. And what does that mean? It means that we want to know yeah. what truth is. Right. We want to that know was Solomon. Where we belong. Solomon right. said He has written eternity on the human heart, and we all yeah. know. That there's something bigger than us out there right. and we're all looking for it you know and I, that's a great search to be on it's a lifetime search don't abandon it for temporary worldly answers because there's an eternal truth that's worth fighting for so next week we're going to talk some more a little bit more about deconstructionism but i want us to tell our story if you feel comfortable telling your own personal story of a season of the dark night of the soul uh we're going to tell our personal stories but i want to talk about schaefer's uh story it's it's an incredible story uh about how he went through his dark night of the soul but came out on the other side um so anyway we're going to wrap it up We've had a great day. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Uh, if you are going through deconstructionism or if you're just looking for truth, we encourage you. Man, come go through the journey with us because we're all on a search for truth. We're all chasing the truth. And that 
Truth has a name. That name is Jesus. Uh, if you live in here uh, in Slidell on the North Shore, come visit us here at Journey Fellowship Church. Uh, you can find driving directions on the Journey app. If you don't have the app, download the app. It's free from your app store. Type in Journey Fellowship Church. The app is free, full of resources. There's a driving map, small groups, ways to get connected, past sermons. Or check us out at jf.church. That's our address on the web. You can get driving directions from there or find out more about us, how to prepare for your visit. Uh, also, if you would, uh, if you'd like to uh, get connected here personally, we're going to be starting a brand new season of small groups real soon. You can find some real, authentic relationships where you can do life with some other people. So, thanks, Pastor Ken. Thanks, Pastor Al, for joining us today. Uh, I'm Doug McAllister for Journey Fellowship Church, and you've been watching stories I didn't tell last Sunday. <laughs>